0: Okay, we are now recording. So anytime you're ready, go ahead and give it a shot.
3: Okay. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) Hi, this is Cynthia Cummins, the Cynthia Cummins. The one and only, yes. And I am here with Jeff Smith of Vroom Vroom Veer.
0: And you can also say something about... Your blog. Oh, go okay. Ahead. You can.
3: I could say something if I wanted, or I could say something entirely different. Yes, uh, yes, you could. I could <laughs> just start talking non sequiturs. This is Cynthia Cummins, Cynthia Cummins. You can find me at realestatetherapy.org, Got
0: where it.
3: there's all kinds of Advice and wisdom and humor about what it means to have a home or not. Right. And today I'm talking with Jeff Smith of Broom Broom Beer.
0: And it's perfect. See, now you got all the pieces in there. Okay. Are, are you with me? <laughs>
3: yes.
0: Yes. I think that was perfect. All right. All right. So I'm going to hit stop on the little recorder thingy and I'll start a new file. I'll be right back. All right. All right.
1: Are you ready to thoughtfully steer away from your revved up, frenzied, and far too often scripted life? Then welcome to Vroom Vroom Veer with Jeff Smith
0: Thank thank you so much for being on Vroom, Vroom, Veer, and welcome to the show. How's it going? How's it going? All
2: right. How are you doing, Jeff? I'm good. Go ahead and introduce yourself, Carol. Oh, sure. So I'm Carol Pitner, a.k.a. Nordy. I'm the second generation Nords, <laughs> and I'm one of the co-authors for Raising Your Money Savvy Family for Next Generation Financial Independence.
0: Perfect. And Doug?
4: I'm Doug Nordman, known as Nords. Uh, that was the call sign from my uh, first submarine XO. He was always jealous of those aviators who had call signs. I love it. Uh, and- <laughs> And I'm Carol's co-author on the Money Savvy Family Book. We uh, really enjoyed writing this together.
0: That's amazing. This is fun. You know, I don't get to talk to two people all that often. It's usually a a one-on-one conversation. So having two Mm -hmm. people is more fun. Um, And then uh, uh, the other thing is, is, I I'll almost always talk about like childhood stuff and, um, maybe we're going to talk about your dad <laughs> during a, during a conversation and Hey, look, your dad is here.
2: <laughs> so that's I mean, really the whole fun. book's about childhood, so it worked out nicely. Yeah. I like
0: this. This is really fun. Okay. So let's, uh, let's, uh, talk a little bit about the book, you know, just for okay. you guys to, uh, you know, share your thoughts just briefly. And then yeah. we'll move on and talk about roomy Beery stories and uh, we'll get both of your perspectives because that'll be up. Looking forward to it. <laughs> yeah.
1: Absolutely. Okay.
0: So, okay. Uh, Carol, go ahead and tell us a little bit about the book.
2: So this is actually a better intro by my dad. What had happened okay. was he'd been going through a lot of financial conventions and Camp FI meetups and so on and so forth. And he, he would always talk about what he knew about financial independence being from the military and being able to reach FI before he even was ready to retire. Right, But- one of the things that people have always asked him is, "Okay, okay, we got you. You've been doing this for 20 years now. You know how to do this. <laughs> what about your kids? Like, what are you doing to making sure that your daughter is going to be Phi uh, one day? Yeah, right. And, and it was that makes sense. it was a light bulb moment for my parents because it was one of those things where I was I'm in my mid 20s now. You know, I'm still going through the process of reaching Phi and technically reached lean Phi already.
1: Nice. But, but
2: how do you how do you get me to this point? How do you make sure that I know this with a child's raising versus finding this in the 20s like most people do? Okay, that makes sense. Very good.
0: Doug, talk a little bit about the book. Well, we were staying with uh,
4: Carol and uh, her husband in their uh, Norfolk apartment at the time. We went to a financial conference and came back a week later and we were hanging out around the dinner table. And I said, you know, I got that question again about how do you raise your uh, money savvy family? And uh, (laughs) I've been babbling answers and I've been kind of coming up with ideas, but I really didn't have any good advice for the families and the parents in that that audience. And uh, Carol, do you have any memories when you were growing up? And boy, did that open up the floodgates. And uh, it it reminded her of a few stories. Sure. Uh, And pretty soon we had an outline, and uh, then she uh, started writing a chapter. And after that, it was off to the races, and I was just trying to keep up. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so we'll talk about our parent tactics, trying to stay out in front of somebody who's very bright and eager and curious about money. And and all the brilliant things that clearly we did to raise a money savvy family. Uh, at least they seemed <laughs> brilliant to us at the time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and then it alternates, and then the narrative has Carol's side of it as she's growing up, as to how well a child uh, with a child's perspective uh, sees awesome. that financial incentive working out. Yeah. <laughs> and and you know there were good things. There were other things that were not so good
0: no I get it that's perfect though it's perfect
4: yeah yeah she's she's launched she's not living in the basement she's got her own life and her own career it's all good and now you you remember when your parents would channel that attitude to you of hey someday you'll have kids of your own and you'll understand Mm
2: -hmm. and now with my 11 week old child sitting well she's out in the stroller with dad right now but yes Mm -hmm.
0: it's happened (laughs) yeah it's, it's all coming around, full circle, uh-huh. as they say. Good for
3: you. Uh-huh.
0: So let's let's go back in time with you, Doug, just because yep. you know you've got more experience, as we say, as old people. Um, A lot of it, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, where did you grow up? Are you originally from the D.C. area or?
4: No, ironically, uh, we spent some of the time there, but uh, we came, you know, we joke we came to Hawaii as soon as we could. I, I grew up outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and uh, okay. I went uh, four years at the Naval Academy, so I'm familiar with the D.C. area.
3: Gotcha.
4: But, again, uh, once we were done there, we uh, did the training on the East Coast for the submarine force. There's, uh, you know, the usual bunch of schools you had to go through in the 1980s to go to your first submarine uh, back then, 1984, the peak of the evil empire, the Cold yeah. War. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so our submarines at the time, uh, the ones that I wanted to go to were making patrols out of Holy Lock, Scotland back then in the day. Wow. And, oh my yeah, it was interesting. So I, I spent off-crew time. I was on a ballistic missile submarine launching ICBMs. Uh, and I spent my off-crew time in Charleston. But when we were on a submarine, we were out of Holy Lock. And we would go out and patrol in the North Atlantic for 90 days. Uh, I all did right. that for almost three years. Uh, then went to graduate school at uh, Monterey Naval Postgraduate School in California.
0: Right, Carol's nodding it's her fun. head. Yeah, here yeah, yeah. she is.
4: Yeah, living <laughs> her life. Uh, but after that, we got stationed in Hawaii. And by the time we got to Oahu, we had been stationed all over the world at various places and seen all kinds of places to live. My spouse and I are a dual military couple. She active duty meteorology and oceanographer. Oh wow! And And by the time we got to Pearl Harbor, we were like, hey, we could stay here for quite a while. Uh, We like this place. And so we've lived here uh, 30 years, the first 13 years uh, with courtesy of the Navy until I retired. And then, of course, since then, the last 17 years, almost 18 years now uh, as retirees.
0: Wow. Yeah. Uh, Hawaii is an awesome spot. I lived there for four years.
4: <laughs> it, it's right. And, yeah, and the, yeah, the, great. the weather, the culture, the food, the people, mm. the uh, everything about used? it. Oh, oh, Did I mention surfing? Yes. yes. Uh,
0: the waves. The, yes, exactly. Right. Yeah. There's something about whenever you leave Hawaii, you get that feeling of why did I leave when you get back? well. That's right? a very interesting rear
4: <laughs> uh, That's no, that, that makes a big a big difference. Uh, we uh, started our career our our Hawaii tour here. We did four and a half years here, and then uh, we ran out of billets. And the uh, assignment officer sent us to uh, San Diego. And I'll 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 say that if you can't be stationed in Hawaii, San Diego is an awesome second place to be stationed. But yes, when we would land in Hawaii on the airplane, traveling back and forth between Hawaii and San Diego landing in Hawaii felt more like coming home than Mm. landing in San Diego at the end of the trip. And eh, I've learned enough over the years. That's a hint. And so as soon as we could, we got stationed back here. And once we got back here, we stayed until I retired in
0: 2002. Okay. So Carol, when did you come along?
2: So I came along right in 1992. (laughs) So I got there maybe about a year and a half before mom and dad. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You're the monkey. (laughs) But, uh, (laughs)
3: Short
4: sure,
2: sure duty. Sure duty. Sure <laughs> that, sure happens. duty. that happens. <laughs> Post, yeah. Post Soviet Union, shore duty. So yes. Yeah. Okay. So you
0: but were, any. you were around then. So let's see here. What, what's, what's the first move that you remember? Where did, where do you think you grew up? Did you, did you grow up in Hawaii? Basically?
2: I definitely grew up in Hawaii. You know, okay. mom and Deb have all the photos. I was about 18 months old when they moved from Hawaii to San Diego, and I was about four, four and a half years old when we moved from San Diego back to Hawaii. Okay. And so Hawaii is my home because, you know, that's where I was born. That's where I did K through (laughs) 12. Yeah, right. Grew up there. You sound like a local. Exactly. (laughs) Yes.
0: (laughs) Born and raised. Yeah, Yeah, that's amazing. You could you could you could do a whole separate show about what it was like going to K through twelve in Hawaii because that's just oh, yeah. crazy. <laughs> I mean, I was like young, like so when I got to Hawaii, I was um, let me see here, like twenty, I think. So mm-hmm. from 20, 20, 20, I guess twenty through twenty four ish, something like that, mm-hmm. and that was in uh, uh, now I'm really scratching the brain cells here, like ninety to ninety four. Sounds like you did it right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it was, that's where I met my wife. So all of my, most of my memories from Hawaii are just like that, that sort of like 20 something single life. Yay. I'm partying and I'm, you know, like, uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar uh, with the Pearl Ridge area that. Oh yes. Okay. Yes we are. So there's like those three, uh, condos like right on the corner by Polymomi uh, medical right, center. Right that's where we lived. And that was right across this. You could walking distance to all the bars and stuff at Pearl Ridge. Mm -hmm. That was amazing. (laughs) I know. It's a really, yeah, yeah, it was great. Anyway, so that's where I met my wife. And so we moved on. So anyway, um, so let's talk about like Carol's perspective of growing up with Doug and being in the Navy and moving around a lot and growing up in Hawaii. Just talk a little bit about your, uh, Say like uh, high school days. What were you like? Oh, yeah. (laughs)
2: So by the time I was in high school, dad was retired and halfway through really? high school, wow. mom retired. Right. Yeah. So to, to, to put it on wow. perspective, dad actually retired when I was in fifth grade. And I remember the biggest life change that happened was I stopped having to go to after school care. So I didn't have to go to the A plus program or the <laughs> YMCA. Yeah, or yeah. I could, I could go from school straight home and dad was already sitting there. Like he'd been chilling all day and I walked indoors <laughs> and I got to go straight to my room. Didn't have to worry about, you know, any after school leaders or getting my homework done or all the noise and all the other kids I was just oh and that was nice. a very nice, yeah, very that's nice, a nice exchange.
0: Year. Okay, so before that, then I take it you were in some sort of after school program because both of your and, parents and were before working.
2: school as well. Because wow. um, dad had a particular job. Uh, both mom and dad had tough jobs at that time. Mom was on watch floors, and dad was in a job in a staff billet that required a lot of real time updates. And wow. so we would we'd wake up early. I would be at the school by about six forty five in the morning. <sighs> you know, I would be in that before school wow. program until school actually started. We would go through school, and then I'd be in school all the way until the end of the day, go to the after-school program, and dad would pick me up around 445. So there's a good chunk of the day of some, let's see, six, ten hours a day I was spending at school. Wow. And so the first thing that happened was when dad retired, didn't have to go into school so early, yeah. didn't have to come home so late. Right. Suddenly I had all this more free time at home and in my neighborhood. And so that was wonderful. I mean,
4: free free time at home with mom and dad there to offer helpful suggestions whenever we (laughs) felt it was necessary. Mm -hmm.
2: No, I
0: get it because you know, my parents not being in the military, like my mom never worked. Okay. So that experience for you is like alien to me. So when I was all the way through high school, I could, I, I, I'll tell a funny story. <laughs> you know, when you get in trouble in kindergarten, the kid, the sometimes the teacher will make you sit out in the hall. Well, they did when I was mm. a kid. <laughs> well, I was really upset about that as a kindergartner because it was, there was an injustice there. I couldn't get my crayons to go back into that cut up milk box. Oh no. And it wasn't <laughs> my fault. It was just because it, uh, you know, my little hands couldn't like, not break a crayon and get it in that box and I tried like a million things so I just left it there because she was yelling at me to sit out, and then she came and said well you didn't put your crayons away go sit in the hall so instead of just Ooh. sitting in the hall I went home <laughs> <All right. laughs> blah, blah. yeah and as I'm as I'm walking in the door crying my mom's on the phone with the yeah yeah he's here yeah everything's he's here, okay. Right? <laughs> That's right. So you you
4: got to reward that kind of initiative at that age. That's impressive.
0: I know. No, I've, I've totally lost all of that spit and fire. I don't know. It got burned (laughs) out of me in the air force, you know? No, (laughs) right. That's right. And the other thing that I was thinking of when you were talking, Carol, was like, you kind of were born
2: in the military. You were in the military when you were a kid. (laughs) <laughs> oh, yeah, but it's it's very yeah. different. You know, most military brats, you know, when, especially for me, I had both parents that were in the military. Right. That's and so it's very hard. different. Yeah, so that it's one, you know, both mom and dad were wearing the uniform. So I just saw, you know, two different jobs, two different communities, I just saw everything that had to be Navy. Yeah. And then the second part of that was I was unusual in that, except for that one move to San Diego. I grew up in Hawaii, you know, we had a right. very stable location when it came to what mom and dad was doing. And sure, they were in different buildings as they went around the harbor, but at the same time, they were still in the same place. And so yeah. I didn't do a lot of, I didn't have to really deal with multiple elementary school. I didn't have to deal, I went to only one middle school and one high school. So it was, it was very easy compared to what most military right. kids go through.
0: Yeah, I, w- I would think like, uh, in my experience, when I talk to most military brats, they're they're experiences okay at this base I was this person at this base they get to reinvent themselves over and over and over again it's like every move (laughs) I'm a new person (laughs) <laughs> so
4: and, and they get very resilient at that very good at uh, right. adapting making right. friends fitting in That's whatever right. the culture right. is yeah
0: yeah any well i think any experience like say like the one we're going through now
1: <laughs> That's right.
0: is yet another opportunity to grow and get stronger right yeah. i know that as corny as that sounds but you're right it the life experience always does you know build in those it's an opportunity to grow you know and especially when you're young like that like Carol was when her dad retired <laughs> mm-hmm. in fifth grade, you know, that's, you know, that's a, that's a great, I mean, everything up to that was just like, you didn't even know, <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. That not, not everybody was experiencing that.
2: Oh, yeah. And, and there's a good subset of kids in Hawaii that are military, just because there's right. every single service out there. So there's right. always a good, I don't have a good percentage, but I would say at least a quarter of the school in some way, shape or form had some kind of military tie. Whether that sure. was kids that were local and their families happened to be National Guard or yep. kids that were from out of state that were doing the move to move. And so there was always a very strong presence there. And I guess that was one of the other things was growing up, you know, 9-11 and all of the Middle Eastern conflicts were very much a big part of middle school and high school. You always had kids whose parents were always on deployment.
0: Right. Oh yeah. 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 So like, let's talk a little bit about like how the other kids treated you like, because like I, I, it was, it was a fascinating thing for me to witness, but I was on the outside, like really divorced from all of that. Right. As a 20 something, you know, running around trying to meet girls. Right. (laughs) Okay. That's where my head was. Right. Um, right. But when I did see like younger kids or kids of, of people that I was hanging out with, it seemed like their high school experience in Hawaii was, from my perspective, a little scary. <laughs> I don't know. What was it like for you?
2: It really wasn't as scary for me. I, I can see what you mean where there's a very different culture in Hawaii. It's a right. very distinct it's, culture when right. it comes to who's from the actual islands, who's from mm-hmm. the Polynesian area, and who is right. just not from that area at all. Right, right. But. But the high school that I went to, millennial High School, was because it's so centralized, it's in Central Oahu, it's surrounded by multiple military bases, there's less of that strong island culture. Now, don't get me wrong, there's still a lot of people that are local, and my high school in particular had a lot of second-generation kids. So the parents had gone to this high school in the 70s, and now the kids were going to the high school in my years. Right, right, okay. but, but for me, there wasn't a lot of, you know, there wasn't a lot of race issues. There wasn't a lot of class issues. You okay. know, I was in a lot of, uh, gifted, talented, you know, pre AP and AP classes. Right. And so I was with the same group of 40 to 50 kids all the time. Cause we all took the same classes. Gotcha. And the school itself was twenty five hundred people give or take so even when it came to you know the 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 mean girls aspect of it there's a queen bee this the problem was that there was multiple girls competing be queen bee so the rest of us were just like we don't care as long as you guys don't bother us we don't care you're just just stepping off of that yeah 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 Yeah. that's exactly
0: always my my what I, i like to call the uh the closet beta tactic, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. okay, yeah, you guys go do that over there.
2: <laughs> we'll, we'll be studying. We got an AP down next year. Right. Yeah. We,
0: we have stuff to do. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I always, uh, I always classified myself in high school as like the ambassador, right? I, I would, I would try to stay as neutral as possible, like Sweden, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm.
4: Exactly. Like a diplomat.
0: Yeah. Mm. Yeah. A diplomat or an ambassador. There you go. Okay. So let's move on from high school days. So I take it. Okay. So now at this point in the story, Doug's already retired. So talk a little bit about your transition, Doug, from like active duty to retirement and... How hard was it to decide to stay in, in Hawaii or did you even even need to think about it a second? Or?
4: Yeah, we, not much thought <laughs> went into where we were going to live after okay. Navy.
0: Gotcha. But we would always,
4: my spouse and I always maintained a high savings rate while we were on active duty. And part of that was underway for 90 days in a submarine. You don't spend a lot of money. Uh, part of it is we enjoy frugality. We're, we're naturally optimizing our expenses. Uh, there's always this little aspect of people that are Pursuing financial independence, and they're uber frugal. You know, their feeling is that you're in deprivation, and that you're recycling toilet paper or dumpster dumpster diving. And and the reality is that when you're doing it right, when you're saving for financial independence, it's not frugality is not uh, deprivation. Frugality is challenging, fulfilling. You're you're winning a game, and we've always felt like we would optimize our resources. So that high savings rate, we kept that up for the time we were on active duty, and by the time. I retired, we had reached financial independence, but this is back, the late 90s was when we reached financial independence. We didn't know about the 4% safe withdrawal rate back then. Right. Uh, a lot of math of, uh, had just uh, come <laughs> out. Money
0: Mustache yet.
4: <laughs> right, yeah.
0: He probably uh, wasn't eight,
4: around. Nine years, nine years before that blog started was the year I retired. <laughs> And, right. and blogs were just getting started in 2002 sure. anyway, but right. the, uh, the the financial independence part of it meant that when we were leaving active duty, we didn't need to worry about me jumping straight into that bridge career like so many service members do and so many military families immediately start a second career afterward. Sure. Uh, and at the time, uh, that culture was a little uh, out of step with the mainstream. So you get a lot of pushback from your peers and your chain of command and your friends. And, and the attitude is, well, you're not going to be able to take care of yourself, you're not Going to have enough money. Right. You're going to be so bored. Right, what are you going right, to do all right, day? Right, right, right. You, you can't possibly surf all day. Mm, and and, you can. and the, well, <laughs> yeah. it turns out. Yeah. The, the question was one that I'd never explored. I'd never surfed in Hawaii because I'd always been busy. And in sure. retrospect, it's probably a good thing that I did not know how to surf <laughs> when I had to go to work in the morning. Uh, so the joke, the joke became yeah. that when I retired, that we were going to learn to surf. And so on the actual date of the retirement, yes. 1 June, 2002, nice. we all went down to White Plains Beach. We all took surf lessons from the lifeguard there. And almost 18 years later, I'm still surfing there two, three times a week. We were hooked. And, and yeah. my wife enjoyed the experience, stood up on a board, had a good time. Carol and I, on the other hand, hardcore hook, just totally fa- fascinated by the idea and right. really wanting to learn more and get better at it. And, and that has continued. And not only have I continued surfing, you know, for the last 18 years, but she's enjoyed growing up surfing and, and that's, mm-hmm. Turned into the criteria by which she's selected her spouse. You know, will he surf? <laughs> and uh, now, now we have another generation. You know, she's only 11 weeks old. She's a little young. We're gonna wait till she's, you know, maybe crawling at least before we put her on a longboard. But uh, I'm keeping an eye on my granddaughter and making sure she's ready to surf whenever she's ready going to
2: go in the water. Yeah. we just need her to stop hitting herself first. She's still doing that baby thing where she flails everything until she keeps hitting herself on uh, As soon as
4: she figures out how to stand up, I'm pretty sure we'll uh, be able to get her onto the board and get her going. Uh. So that, that was the whole attitude with uh, leaving active duty and retiring and living off your investments and, and having the pension and, of course, the health care. Uh, the health care mm-hmm. is an absolute relief. Uh, now, right. since then, we have figured out many ways to solve all those problems, inflation, health care. Uh, but I will say that one of the things I've never had a problem with is figuring what I'm going to do all day. Uh, boredom right. just does not exist in my life. There's always something to do we joke about having this list of things you want to get done during the day. And at the end of the day, you've only done half a list. And and that's the the problem is now you're responsible for managing your own time and your own entertainment. And we find a lot of that. Now I did find time to write a book with my daughter. You know, that's a a life goal and I'm glad I was able to check that off. But I don't see the issues that many other people worry about. You know, everybody, when you're getting to that transition where you're stopping work and you're going to have to take care of whatever you do all day on your own, everybody worries about that. While you're in a workplace, it's hard to imagine life without that. But six months after you retire, six months after you stop going to work, you look back on that period in your life and you say, man, I don't understand why I was so worried about what I was going to do all day. Right. So common urban legends or myths
0: of <laughs> financial independence, myths of retirement. And uh, I spent a lot of time debunking that. So uh, let me ask you this. When you retired, did you have like a social, like, did you have people to hang out with? Were you like, what,
4: you'll, you'll lose all your friends. And if you don't golf, right, right. you'll be so bored. <laughs> and, and, Just talk again. I, I, uh,
0: I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate here. So yeah, no,
4: no, no, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I, I hear these a lot, and and the answer is yes. You have friends, and and this is one thing when you retire, when you stop showing up at work, you do find out very quickly who your friends are and who your coworkers are. Right. And yes. your friends, your true friends, will support you no matter what crazy decisions you make in your life, even if it seems radical and stupid to them. Okay, if you don't want to show up for work anymore, we'll still be your friend. Right. And sure, that's continued over the years. Uh, you have your network at work, and you have your network when you're not at work, and it right. continues. Okay. So surfing buddies, and when I retired in 2002, of course, the World Wide Web was up and running, and things were getting started, and I have a lot of online friends. In fact, I, I, I've spent so much time online socializing that there are times where I really feel like I need to unplug and go <laughs> sit down and enjoy life with my neighbors. <laughs> right. But you have a, an ability to build your own social network, and so sure. whether you build that with the people you spend your day with, your time with, or whether you go online and do it there, you will build a network. You will make that transition. And yeah, yeah. I, I think, you know, if you've got a workplace where you feel challenged and fulfilled by what you're working on, what your job, your career is, and and you like the people you're working with, uh, maybe you want to just keep doing that as long as you enjoy it. Yeah. But if work is a place you go to get money, if work is a place you go to spend eight hours a day so that you can get that money and you really don't enjoy it, you feel like you're somebody outside of work then I would say reach financial independence and don't worry about socializing. Don't worry about your network.
0: You can solve Uh, those problems. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> those, those problems, yeah, you, 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 have
4: time, you, yeah. you have the time, you have the energy, you have the bandwidth again to solve those problems. When I say bandwidth, I mean mental and emotional bandwidth. Right, right. Those problems all solve themselves. Now, if you're naturally an introvert and you don't enjoy going out in the world and you've always wanted to work remotely or do your own thing, then maybe when you reach financial independence and stop working, maybe you don't need as much socialization. Maybe you can just retreat into your cave and enjoy life that way. But if you're an extrovert, you're gonna go find opportunities to socialize. Part of that is the rise of the World Wide Web. This right. might not have worked out as well in nineteen eighty or the nineteen seventies. <laughs>
0: sure.
4: I, I'm skeptical. I'm pretty sure I would have figured out my own entertainment anyway, but it's much <laughs> easier in there. today. Exactly. The <laughs> waves are always there and you're always gonna find somebody to surf
0: with. There you go. So when I uh retired from the Air Force, so mm-hmm. I, I, I did what you said. I got the job immediately without even thinking about it. Cause one of my buddies that ha- uh, was another retired E seven from the air force, he was sort of like uh, he was the one that walked up to me and said, Hey, do you want a job? <laughs> and I was like, Uh, sure, sure. Yeah. (laughs) What else am I going to do? Right. Yeah. So that, that, that happened. And then, and then another one happened. So the first one lasted about a year and a half and the second (laughs) one lasted about a year and a half. Right. I think that's pretty typical of the post retirement jobs.
4: It is. It is very much so.
0: Right. Right. And then, um, I, uh, I was looking at that post nine 11 GI bill and I was like, And that looks like fun, not doing anything, (laughs) but going to school for like three years. So I I got to do that. That was amazing. So after that three years, then I kind of ran out of plan (laughs) other than I kind of wanted to not work anymore. You're exploring other options. Yes. Mm Yes. So, but it was, it was fun. And, but I did, um, I experienced the thing where my wife was still working full time at mm-hmm. that point, you know, cause we were in like forties uh, something. Right. And we needed money. I mean, my retirement in my E7 retirement wasn't enough to pay the bills. Right. So the GI bill money was enough with her job and that GI bill money for those three years, we were fine. But that was then, perfect. yeah. And then, and then after that, I figured out, cause I didn't do much of anything <laughs> until like mm, 2017, but I did do like stuff to keep me busy and sort of bring in a little bit of money. Like I drove for Lyft and I did massage, oh. you know, all these stupid things that were a blast. <laughs> mm-hmm. They didn't make a lot of money, but they were, I think for me, I felt guilty for not having a job. So that combined with being a little bit socially isolated, you know, being like age inappropriate home too much. Um, And then all of my social structure was tied to the military kind of thing. So I did experience some of that isolation that people talk about. But it was my fault, <laughs> right?
4: Well, it's also the first time in your life when you've had a chance to make that kind of transition and do right. that sort of exploration. And I right, see right. that a lot from my audience. Uh, you know, I hear from thousands of military families and service members and veterans, and everybody goes through their own unique transition.
0: <laughs> and there,
4: there are common things yeah. that uh, are an issue with every transition. And some of it's personality, some of it's location, some of it's mm-hmm. the family situation you're in. But right, I, right. I do know that... There is that feeling of, I should be doing more. I should be giving back to society. I should be working harder at this. I I feel feel a strong, I feel a strong uh, urge to pay it forward, you know, take care and show people and and do the same thing that you used to do in uniform, right? You're taking care of people. You're helping them build their skills and their careers. And I still enjoy doing that. So it's luckily I found, (laughs) I found a way to do it. That's right. Yeah. And I, I really enjoy this version of it. uh, And I've enjoyed learning to become that different person. And it, you, you mentioned that 18-month series of jobs right after the military. Uh, studies show that half of all military veterans change that job within that first two years. And sometimes it's because they've figured out this civilian job thing and figured out how to get promoted or figured out That's how to get money. to a new location. Right, right. Another company, <laughs> yeah. right. all right, those right. things. Yeah. Uh, but some of it is finding out who you are and, and what you want to do. And that process goes on and evolves. And I've learned now after a few more years of experience that it's part of life every 5 or 10 years you get to completely reinvent yourself and change your role yeah. carol's rolling her eyes at this because <laughs> she's gone through that transition right you you've had that feeling yourself oh yeah and and you're going to go through a few more of those everybody does and the attitude in the military is that someday you're going to get out of the military and you're going to turn into version 2.0 and live happily ever after well it's not quite that easy it's a little more complicated and maybe yeah. there's version 3 4 and 5
0: yeah. For me, I mean, it was like every, almost like every PCS was an opportunity to like shed an old identity and, and build a new one. Okay. So let's talk about, let's talk to Carol again. <laughs> so, uh,
4: I completely understand. <laughs> yeah.
0: Carol, you, uh, you decided to join, uh, the Navy too, and you were active duty. Now you're in the reserve. So what, what, uh, what job are you doing in the Navy?
2: So, originally, I was what they call a surface warfare officer. I I tried to do some marine thing like dad. My grades just weren't good enough for for the number of women that they're accepting. They're only accepting 24 in a year. And so, they said, thank you. You can still be someone who's in the nuclear program, but we're going to send you to the surface instead. So, my very first ship, I still don't know how I did it, but I managed to get a slot on one of the ships that went to go to Spain for the
4: first time Her grades grades were actually pretty good, and she made the cut for that, billet.
2: Yeah. yeah. Good I mean, I... I had a 3.4 GPA in civil engineering, but I was competing against women that had 3.9, 3.8 mechanical engineering GPAs. It was a very tough crowd, and they're right. very good at what they do. Right, right. But, I mean, second place, if you're getting a destroyer in Spain, I mean, that's that's really not that bad. And, wow. Um, nice. Yeah, so because I was considered what they call a nuclear option, they send you to sea first. So I went to my destroyer first, and it was what they called a uh, forward deployed naval forces (FDNF). And so, you know, Dad talks about being in Holy Lock, Scotland. I've been there as well. You know, I've done a lot of patrolling out in that area as well. I've done the uh, Mediterranean, the Black Seas, especially. So, I spent a lot of time off the different uh, coasts in in Europe. I've been to 12 different countries all throughout Europe. Wow! And that's awesome. It was, yeah, <laughs> and, and it was also. It was also tough. I mean, there was the, the year twenty fifteen I did not really sleep because we were going in and out of patrols and, and and for some reason people thought that I should be on the night watch. I was always on the the um the twelve PM to three AM watch or the ten PM to the two AM watch. I was I was always on the mid watch somehow. And so I, I really didn't sleep in the year 2015. So I, after that, going to nuclear power school was, was slowing down. That was when I got to sit in the classroom <laughs> and realize what just happened over the last two years. Like, that, I've been to 12 you know, different countries, but. I get it. The, like the, uh, the, whenever
0: Air Force people talk to Navy people, we always, uh, oh, I, okay, I, I can't talk, to, talk about every Air Force person, but mm-hmm. I feel a little bad. Because my life seems a lot easier than your guys. <laughs> I mean, especially uh, from my per- perspective, like my, I never, you know, I deployed a couple of times, but they were both pretty like uh, low threat areas. You know, 59 mm-hmm. days in on lockdown in Saudi Arabia, not so bad. Uh, and then four months screwing around in Qatar, not so bad.
2: Yeah. yeah. So the funny thing is that I've never actually been to the Middle East. You know, my first ship was FD Rota, which means that you spend all your time in the Mediterranean, the Black Sea, and the North and the Irish Sea. So you're very much Eurocentric. Mm-hmm. And then, right. So I went to nuclear power school. I failed out of nuclear power school, which was kind of a good thing for me. But after that, they still sent me to an aircraft carrier. And instead of working down in a nuclear plant, I was working upstairs in combat systems of all places. Yeah. And the ship that I was on is the famous Gerald R. Ford. And Gerald R. Ford has not had any port calls outside of the United States yet. And so I went from you know, going to every single foreign country I could in Europe to not even being able to make it out of the Virginia Capes area. And, uh, and it was completely 180 <laughs> on my first tour. You know. <clears throat> well, I
0: hired, um, while, while I was still active duty in Los Angeles, I was running a small network shop mostly enlisted folks and me. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and, but we got to hire a couple of civilian contractors. And one of those guys used to be in the Navy and he was an IT guy. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and he started telling me his war stories and I was like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, well, yeah. you know, you never really get any, when you're at sea, they just own your ass was his word. <laughs> like 24 seven you're on duty. And if you're not on duty, you're on watch or you're sleeping or you're working out or you're eating. And I'm like, but you know, it makes sense. It's culturally different. So when you go to shore duty, it's a little bit more like you're in the air force. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like you go to a job, you answer the phone, you delete email, you go home.
2: <laughs> yeah, when I was on uh Joe 40, you know, I had a, a division, you know, a, the same group. I had a shop of about thirty people and half of them had been through C before, they had been deployed before, and the other half had not. Mm. And we were talking at one point about being underway for more than thirty days. Whoa, which was that was big for us at the time. And I remember getting up in front of my division and saying, Hey, if you have Netflix downloaded to your phone, if you have Spotify downloaded to your phone, if you have Pandora downloaded to your phone, don't forget, at 30 days, that will all wipe clear because your phone has not locked onto a cell tower for 30 days. Those apps <laughs> will automatically wipe everything. And my sales just like, oh, no, I have to buy music.
0: And that's it's, hilarious. it's a completely different perspective. Yeah, Yeah, that's, that's, wow. Okay. Yeah. So, so like when I was always stationed with, uh, Navy people, so like I worked with this Navy special forces guy when I was in Qatar and he was like, well, I could have done this job or I could have gone underway. And it was really hard because this is, this is considered shore duty, but I'm in the war. <laughs> so his official job was at uh, McDill. Right. Mm-hmm. So, but every 60 days he was going to Qatar. And they were doing that uh, sort of like rotation thing. Mm-hmm. But it was still, con- for in the Navy, that's easy duty, right? That's still considered shore duty on, on his records, right? Mm-hmm. He was like, I don't know if this is a good call. I, I have to get to Iraq or this is not going to pay off for my record. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I was like, wow. okay, Yeah. And you're going, yes, yes, this mm-hmm. all makes sense. That's what you <laughs> have to worry about. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Yeah. As an enlisted guy in the Air Force, it was like completely different. I mean, I just sort of like had this... Keep head down strategy, you know, make E7, get to 20, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they've changed it now though. In the Air Force now, everybody has that board. The prom- every promotion board has mm-hmm. a board where somebody is going to physically look at your records and check to make sure you're doing what the Air Force thinks you should be doing. <laughs> I, it wasn't that way. They, uh, for me, while all the way up until I retired, they didn't have, there was only a board review for E8 and E9. So it was a lot less subjective for us. So it was a l- less political for those people that don't know what the hell we're talking about. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, it, it shows you
4: how much better the quality of life has gotten and how bad retention was back then. Nobody needed to look at your record because they needed you to promote no matter what. Right? Pretty much. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. Uh-huh.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. And now, I, you know, I don't know. There's probably some of that. And then there's there's always like this sort of like push pull against the enlisted force and the, and the officer corps, And I get that. I think that's a good, healthy conflict dynamic. Um, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, I think from my perspective, um, people that are like, like, especially enlisted folks that are like chasing the next stripe too hard, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of like lose focus, you know, but, you know, on the other side, there's also those guys that don't care about anything and just want to, you know, stay E5 or maybe get E6 and make it to 20 and punch. I, I wasn't one well, of those guys either, but, you know. There are certain
4: things that are fun to do. And as you get promoted, there are fewer opportunities to do the things that you enjoy that are right. challenging and fulfilling, right? And, right, uh, right, So maybe it's actually a good idea not to get promoted because then you have to go do stuff that's not fun.
2: Exactly. <laughs> And that's what happened to me. I actually reached the point where I, was, I looked up at my chain of command and I said, "I'm not sure if I want your job I, I, I appreciate what you do, but I'm, I'm not sure if I want to actually do your job one day
0: yeah, makes sense so when are did you, you are you having fun yet ma'am? Yeah, exactly yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, when Carol, did you transition to the reserves? Was that recent or
2: Yes, just passed in uh, 2019. So um, I finished my initial, so for for ROTC for 2014 onwards, there was a five-year active duty obligation. And so 2019, that's when I came up with my five-year point. It was the perfect time to exit. Um, Being dual military, you're always juggling two sets of orders. It's either you juggle it or you figure out how to live apart. And my husband had the stellar offer to go to Naval Postgraduate School a whole tour early. Wow. Holy cow. Okay, oh, yeah. he's one of those. So, All right, now we- <laughs>
0: He's got skills.
2: <laughs> yeah. He's got
4: skills. And so he's, he's
2: like, I, I would love to go to Naval Postgraduate School. Can we please go? And I'm just like, yeah, I don't see any reason I want to stick around here. So let's go. And so nice. it was a very easy decision for me to go to the Navy Reserve. So what and is that, like a two-year hitch or a three-year hitch, something like that? Depends on what your degree is. It can okay. be as short as 15 months, but the program my husband's in, is almost two years long. Yeah, and that, so we're going to be here right. for a good amount of time compared to others. Okay. And Monterey is not so bad. Not not bad at all. No, yeah. no, 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 not so bad. Uh, mm-hmm.
0: So I worked with a lot of uh, linguists while I was in the Air Force. So <laughs> the 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 language school, Defense Language Institute, yep. yeah, is there in Monterey. So that's an interesting bunch. The Enlisted oh, yes. uh, Linguist Corps, and they're all Joint Service. So one of them, <laughs> Doug, was uh, a guy that. Loved submarine duty, <laughs> mm-hmm. and he, was, he I, uh, was.
4: I've I've met many of those people, and yeah. uh, yes, they do, and it's for a reason. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, he was like he uh, he was like we were both drama nerds. You know, that's the only reason ah. I knew him. You know, um. So he's his linguist, and during his shore duty, he said he didn't. They didn't use him. All right, it was like there's your rack. There's nothing to do on it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you know, his job was. On the ocean, right? So, <laughs> it, while he was on shore duty, he was just bored. He was like, "Hey, you want me to go get you some coffee?" <laughs> you know, and then and then when when he went to sea, his thing was like, everybody thinks it's this hard thing to do, and he was like, "No." It's what I what I joined the Navy for. I get to well, do it. it yeah, it's, exactly. It's
4: an indication he's doing it right, isn't it? Right. it? wasn't exciting. It wasn't scary. And if it's normal, if it's routine, if the job's going well, and, you know, speaking as a submariner, as, as you know, their favorite taxi driver, uh, I'm really <laughs> happy when those guys are happy because if those guys are unhappy, it means everybody's having a bad day.
0: Right, yeah. right, right, right. So, okay. So we only have uh, about 10 minutes left. So let's oh, start <laughs> wrapping up here and talk a little bit about this book and a little bit more about like, I love it when, when I, when I hear about like a book or a business idea that is pulled out of you by people, right? So then you're not like sitting there thinking, Hmm, should I write a book? I think this question would be like a solve a problem. No, no, no. People start asking you the same questions over and over and over again. And you're like, why don't I turn this FAQ that I'm typing into a book? <laughs> That's
4: Something. exactly right. We <laughs> read right. a lot of hints. It took about 15 months before uh, my, my spouse and I became aware, hey, this might be a very good topic to write about.
0: Right. So how did that play out? Like, um, Did you already have like a blog post or a whole bunch of blog posts that you just turned into a book? Or did you guys Not get really. together? Okay. Talk a we, little we, bit about it. But-
2: we started from scratch. So the funny thing was that when mom and dad came to visit in Norfolk after their latest financial camp, I happened to be going through TGPS myself. I happened to be going through that, that exit program that the military requires you to do. And a lot of the material they talked about were things that I'd already covered in high school. You know, when you're trying to find a job and things that you're supposed to do after, I, I already knew all that. And I was not listening in class. I'll be honest about that. <laughs> and so, you know, dad said, Hey, what about this book? And so I just spent the next week just writing rough drafts of all the different chapter ideas that I had. Wow. And at nice. the end of that, we, you know, uh, we moved from just a plain old Word document up into Google Docs. And so by moving into Google Docs, it didn't matter where in the world Dad and I were. We could each keep adding our parts to the, to the book as we went along. That's And awesome. so, yeah, and, and it would work out where I would have an idea, and I would start writing about it, and Dad would say, oh, yeah, and he would write in his part, and then I'd realize, oh, yeah, and I'd write in another part, and it just kept building sort off each other. Sort of like feeding other. off of each other. Exactly. Absolutely. No, no, no. That's
0: not really what happened, Dad.
4: <laughs> well, there's there's more than one side to every story. Obviously. So right, in this right. case, we can both tell our story, the same story, but our ver- various perspectives. And that worked out very well. You you learn things about your family that maybe you kind of knew or kind of heard about it, hadn't really thought about very much or something would come at you from left field and uh, find out something you'd never known. And so that that was the experience I really enjoyed is that collaboration Mm -hmm. and the back and forth. Uh, As a blogger, I had several posts that talked about raising a financially savvy kid, but I didn't have anywhere near the 10 chapters that we managed to come out of this with a story. You also, as a writer, you know, you're working your blog posts up into book chapters. That's great. But when you're writing a story with a co-author. There's two choices. The two of you can get together and try to sing in one voice and say, here's the things we have in our book. Uh, And we found out uh, the hard way that the other choice is to tell both sides of the story, do a back-and-forth narrative. And that turns out to be even more difficult. When we got into the editing part, yeah, when we got into the editing part, the editor would say, I hear the story, but it doesn't hang together. Both sides don't come out the same way or she's telling his story or he's oh, telling too much right. of her story. So we spent a lot of time developing our skills as writers to be able to work with that back and forth narrative is more challenging than just sounding like it's one author giving the advice as a team. Right, right. And. This, the, the theme is that we're sitting down there in the kitchen, we're telling stories around the table, and the reader's invited to sit there and have a cup of coffee or an adult beverage and, and listen along and, and reflect on how that would work out in your family. These aren't us pontificating from our ivory tower of right. parental wisdom. Instead, it's Ideas that we had that worked out pretty good or ideas we had and uh, next time we try them, they'll work out better. <laughs> uh, but the stories are relevant to every family. Every sure. family goes through these common problems. and That's what I started realizing that maybe there was a book in this was by the number of questions we got about what every family has to go through.
1: No, mm-hmm.
0: I get it. And I think like those questions are fair because like there's one yep. one thing to say, okay, you're in this big room and I'm asking a question about how you know what's my number and you know all these five questions that you get as it applies to me but now you're like how did you get carol to do all this too you know was it through (laughs) osmosis or were you actually doing things on purpose or did some of it just happen accidentally did you try something and it went completely Uh, opposite and still worked out beautifully i don't (laughs) all of those things
4: the answer to all those questions is yes
0: yeah That's what I imagined. Yeah. And it would be fun. I mean, done the right way. I hope, I hope it all worked out, but done the right way. I, I, I can see where it would be a lot of fun because most of the mm. time, anytime anything has gone wonderfully well for me, it was like, because I clue sewed myself into it. I just tripped over something and everything worked out. I was like, Yay, look at me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It was interesting going through the editing process because the editor would be at
4: that objective outside view and would say, this doesn't make sense, or this part here, I see where you're going, but you haven't made it yet. I think one of the comments the editor had, Carol, one of the chapters was, hey, this chapter, it's a mess. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we went through uh, quite a bit of editing. That chapter is perfect now, flawless. Uh, Right, Uh uh-huh. And, and so that, that editing process, again, this is the fun part of being financially independent and being able to figure out what you want to do all day. And just right. the fact that you're able to sit down with somebody who you really enjoy working with and you feel like you've known them all their life mm-hmm. and you can write a book with <laughs> kind them. Of have. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And, and the whole process, I've really enjoyed being along for that ride. Just the process of writing and projecting it and getting the editor and all that, putting it up together. So It's, this is a long-term project, right? I mean, this book is going to be out there for 10, 15, 20 years, maybe go for more than one printing or multiple editions. Who knows? But I've enjoyed the process of getting here and I've enjoyed the part of that writing it and publishing it. And again, it's that, it's that veer that you talk about is where you think you're going one place in your career and you're kind of enjoying it. And then some other opportunity comes up. You had no idea that that was an idea at all when it came up or the demand shows up right and one day you realize wow there people really do want to do this people really do want to know this people really do want to experience this
0: yeah mm-hmm. well this has been a blast so tell us uh tell us your urls one more time and where people can best get in touch with you as we wrap up go ahead carol
2: so i have a website that i'm still working on bringing up it's called childfire.com that's child like a little kid and then fire you know financial independence retiring early. early.com nice. Child. And fire. then um, that's perfect. I, <laughs> I didn't get it. And, and now I get it.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm. Perfect.
2: And uh, the email would be uh, carol at childfire.com. And so if you click on the contacts on that website, you'll be able to go right to my email. Perfect. Doug hit it.
4: I've uh, written a book previously about military financial independence and uh, I'm at the military guide and we've been doing that for 10 years now. So just entering the military guide into a search engine, will get you right there. I've uh, also spent quite a bit of time on Facebook. Uh, My Facebook profile is uh, totally public. Feel free to look up Doug Nordman there and uh, and all the surfing pictures and all the lifestyle uh, incentives. Uh, The whole point of that public profile is to show you what I do all day and to show you that financial independence is not only financial and math and logic, but it's lifestyle, it's emotions, and definitely sustainable. I, I wish that I'd done this first, right? This is the part where you say, well, if I'd known the military retirement was going to be so much fun, I would have started that right out of high school.
0: <laughs> if only. <laughs> if only. Uh-huh. Thanks, guys. This has been a blast. I appreciate you hanging out with me for a while. And uh, aloha, Doug. And, Thanks, Jeff. Uh, aloha to you. <laughs> Thanks, Carol. No problem. All right. Have a good one.